0: This morning we are starting out with the role of the wife. The role of the wife, and this is a this is just one of those talks that I think uh, fits with last night. You heard about the role of the husband with Brandon, and which is helpful. Um, I know he rushed at the end, but really just a helpful talk to think about what the Bible teaches related to men, and I think this one related to women, (coughs) pardon me, as well. is just very helpful. Uh, We got a couple of goals that we want to talk about today. Bill, this is not plugged into that computer. If you don't mind plugging it in for me. I think it's plugged in, I think it's plugged into the second computer, not my computer. If you'd switch it over. All right, so we have two goals, and they're not in your notes, and you don't really need to even write them down, but it's a wife understanding her role and learning to be joyful with it because of her trust in God. Right? That's the first goal, is that a wife would that we would help in counseling. So if you're a lady, as you counsel a lady in counseling, if you're in premarital or whatever that a wife would understand her role and learn to appreciate, enjoy, uh, engage in that role, right? That is the hope and do it with the sweet spirit because of trusting in the Lord and you'll see why that's important as we go along and for a wife to be joyful, she must be God's kind of woman, right? I think that's the critical element is unless Christian husband or wife is willing to make the Bible the primary focus of living then all of this stuff is just it's just words right you can talk about it teach it but it doesn't help at the end of the day if someone's not willing to follow the Lord if someone's not desiring to be God's kind of person I had the funniest I had one of the funniest text messages. I get a bunch of funny ones, but this was one uh, from this week, uh, and it's from a counselee that I had years ago. Now this person is an ACBC counselor, and I uh, pulled up the wrong one. So in this particular, in this particular note. Uh, she basically says, hey, we're, <laughs> we're doing counseling this week uh, with this girl, and this girl is from a secular university, and the husband is from a Bible college. Well, that was the situation she was in. She was from MSU here in town. Her husband was from Baptist Bible College. He was one of my students. And we started counseling, prepping them for marriage, and... And she had every imaginable misunderstanding of what the Bible talks about related to, to, um, to submission, to anything about roles. I mean, she just 100% misunderstood the Bible. And I remember as we went through her premarital, every week was like a brand new revelation. And she said, I am having so much fun Uh, because we have a counselee right now who he's a Bible College student she is someone who's never even heard thought through or considered the implications of what the Bible teaches and she said this is so enjoyable and I'm sitting here counseling with my husband thinking this must have been the way Pastor Kevin felt right this had to be the way he was thinking about us as we're thinking about this person and I laughed with him and Because she was blown away because you use words when it comes to the role of a wife. The Bible uses words like submission and fitting helper and reverence. We're going to put those throughout the the talk here. We're going to explain all three words. Well, when you're using those kinds of words, the world system (laughs) certainly kind of pushes back against those ideas, especially submission. Right? So we want to be able to think through all three of these in a way that is helpful to your counselee and helpful to the body of Christ. So what is submission? We'll discuss that. What does it mean to be a fitting helper? Where does that term come from? It comes from yesterday, the Genesis uh, text where in chapter 2 where it says we want to make a helper comparable. And I said that was essentially a fitting helper. So that's that term. And then reverence comes out of Ephesians 5. So those are the three critical words that we want to use to discuss this relationship. Let's start with submission. When you say, well, what is the history of mankind's response to submission? Well, mankind isn't Satan, but we can at least start with Satan, right? Satan uh, wasn't So interested in submitting to his role in God's plan and so he as you know in the form of a serpent he came into the Garden of Eden where he talked to Eve right and so with Eve says Satan says for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil we went through this text a month ago and so it didn't, it didn't go too well, because as you know, Eve and Adam both took, they both fell, and we have the curse of sin in Genesis chapter 3. Well, then it gets extended to all mankind. We see that in Isaiah 53. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And then, of course, it's describing here, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right, so none of us have a good track record on submission. Rather, it's understanding it or trying to live it out. Because we're all, at our very heart, non-submissive. We're born non-submissive. In Ephesians 2, it says we're children of wrath. In birth, we're children of wrath. It's by nature we want to do our own thing. We want to live our own way. We want to be our own boss, right? That started way before uh, That started way before we were actively making choices against submission, that is by nature. So it's extended to all mankind. That's men, women, 100% of us. So when you think about the idea of I don't like submission, if you're a girl or if a lady counselee, Says, I don't like submission. Reality is okay. There's nothing new about that. Which one of us does like it? None of us like it. duck so god can hit him (laughs) interesting Uh, that's interesting maybe a little bit of truth to that so it's extended to all mankind let's look at this in terms of it's intensified in the last days you see it in first timothy first timothy 3 it says but understand this that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful or unholy. Right? It's the extent of the struggle just expands. What's fascinating about the First Timothy text is that it actually is a reference to people that are in the church. Right? It's not even specifically unbelievers in the 2 Timothy 3 text. So as a result, what? Submission gets misrepresented and misunderstood. It gets misrepresented and misunderstood. And as I mentioned to you, it gets misrepresented and misunderstood, not simply by ladies, because, but certainly that is a place, but it's for all mankind. Right? So I don't want you to hear that submission is a problem only that ladies have. It's a problem we all have. In fact, the ladies have more of an issue with submission or have a more of a struggle living in the roles inside the home. Why? Because men often do not submit to their role, right? What you heard last night is the role of a husband. Well, if, and that role is given by God and the husband then what? He has to submit to God's authority. So if the husband struggles submitting to God's authority, then it doesn't surprise us that a wife would struggle submitting to a husband's authority who should be functionally living under God's authority. Right? So submission isn't only a lady problem. In the roles of the home, though, it is the responsibility of the lady to submit to a husband. So submission can be misunderstood. Romans 6 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Right, it's a challenge, it's a decision for each one of us as we think about submission. What are some wrong ideas then about submission? I think this cartoon, it's kind of funny. This lady is submitting to her husband. He says, here is my weekly submission to you, and it's a long list of to-dos. You can tell he's quite excited about it. So what are some wrong ideas? Here's the first one, that the wife is inferior. That the wife is inferior. Some people think that because a wife is supposed to submit to her husband, that she's inferior to her husband. There isn't any text in the Bible that would teach that. In fact, I said last night the opposite when I said they are co-equals in image-bearing. Right? The husband and wife are mutually the same, yet they've been given a different role. They've been given a different position. And it's not decided per marriage. It was decided by God, and then he communicated that through the scriptures. So a wife is given a role. That role is one that she's supposed to play, given to her by God. The husband is given a role, and he's supposed to do the same thing. But it has nothing to do with image. It has nothing to do with personhood. It doesn't relate to, in fact, we're going to give some of those things here in a second, so I'll hold off on that statement. First Peter, notice what it says says, likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding ways, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Right, the idea of 1 Peter 3, 7 is the wife is a weaker vessel. Right? The vessel is, in that instance, it would have been referred to as a vase. Right? It's a precious vessel vessel i read a (laughs) a lengthy uh actually a lengthy set of tweets this morning that relate to this particular issue and notice this statement it's not in your notes but i want you to at least see it it says there are moments where a wife may be a weaker vessel but how many thousands of ways can she be a strong helper for her husband and family she should ask herself, what is she capable of or willing to try to do? Right When we think about a weaker vessel, I think it's important to understand that weaker may relate to several things. I think when we see it historically, let me suggest two. I think it relates to a wife is in a role of submission to a husband who can be very sinful. So the role itself puts her in a position where she's more vulnerable. The second element is that a wife, a lady, all women, have a much different body structure, muscle mass, and everything else as it relates to a man. So when you compare the anatomy of a man and a woman, as we see with this transgender athletes breaking records all across sports right now. Uh, there's no way to even compare a man's athletic comp- comp- Well, there is are ways to compare, but when they're competing against each other for the same type of records, as you can see, it's blowing those records away because a man's body, uh, the muscle mass is different, the c- types of muscles a man have are different, the way the body is formed is different, the way, uh, specifically, both... Uh, the shoulders and at the hips, all of those things are different. And so when you compare the two, the wife does have a weaker, she has a different kind of frame. But again, that does not imply inferior. Show me a man who can have a baby, which right, is biologically impossible, right, a man gets upset when his nose is running, much less going through labor. Right? You wouldn't say, oh boy, look at that lady, she is so weak. And then, then you've never watched a lady have a baby. Having seen five of those, I would say, my soul, ladies are strong. I don't want to have anything to do with them, with that part of it. So the Bible does not imply, submission doesn't imply anything about inferior. Weaker, 1 Timothy 3, 7, yes, weaker. But also honored, it's also in the same text. What's the second one? That the husband is infallible. People assume that. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Notice what Carolyn Mahaney says in this statement out of her book, Feminine Appeal. Carolyn says, submission doesn't tell us to place our hope in our husbands. They are fallible, sinners just as we are. They will make mistakes. Consequently, if we invest all of our confidence in their leadership, character, or gifting, we'll wind up anxious and disappointed. God never intended that our husbands bear the weight of our complete dependence. Rather, he wants us to depend wholly upon him right so the husband there isn't any husband that's infallible all husbands sin and because all husbands sin then you have to know how to treat a husband who is sinning which we'll talk about here in a second because husbands don't have infallible capacity every husband is only wise as he spends time with his wife and gets her take listens to her well spends time as a learner, my wife can catch things that I don't catch. My wife can sense things that I don't sense. I am very unwise to not listen to her, right? Because just because I have an opinion doesn't make me infallible. If you want to jot down a good text, how about James 3 17? It says, Wisdom that's from above is first pure. And then it says, then uh, first pure, peaceable, and then it says reasonable. It's a term I love to use with husbands and wives because essentially what it suggests is that if there's two opinions, I'll use these pieces of paper up here, if there are two opinions and you're easy, the, the King James says easy to be entreated, which is actually a great translation on that one. If this is the husband's opinion and this is the wife's opinion, when a husband hears it, his natural desire as a wise man should be to put her opinion above his own. By design, by uh, desire, he should want to do what she wants to do. It ought to be what comes natural. It doesn't come natural to a selfish man. That's why we're talking about wisdom from above, not wisdom from below. But the husband should naturally, when he sees the two opinions, he should naturally already be moving his opinion under hers because he wants to do his best to be, and again, I love the King James Version here, when it says easy to be entreated. Not simply reasonable, but Annette Bible calls it sweet reasonableness. Right, so it's not just reasonable, let me compare our two opinions, but he does it in such a way where he says, yes, if at all possible, let's do it your way. This week we were making a decision, I was in uh, Lafayette teaching at a conference, and my wife was here, and she says, hey, we need to make a decision, this is some new information I have, which implied that I probably might not be for the decision, and so I'm, I'm, Actually, in between, I um, didn't have time for a conversation, but I was looking at what she was saying, and the question is, what are you going to do? It would be very easy, especially with the information she gave me, to say, okay, let's go this way, my way. Let's do it this. I think this is the better way. But as I looked at it, I took myself to that verse and said, but what should I want to do? Unless there's a compelling reason not to do it her way, let's try to go her way. And so I said, no, let's let's do this. She was surprised. She said, are you sure you want to do it that way? Yes, let's do it your way. Why? Because there's no compelling reason not to. Now, I think that's in the Bible because it's easy for us to have wisdom from below. An unwilling husband to walk in the Spirit, it's easy for him to have wisdom and exercise the kind of wisdom that assumes he's infallible. So why would girls, why would the world system say, well, you know, the problem with submission is that men think they're infallible. The world system thinks that or would say that or imply that because many uh, men who are not walking in the spirit act that way. But if we're going to have wisdom from above, then we need to recognize our own and uh, we need to recognize that we are fallible and that our wife brings much to the table. Here's the third one, that a wife cannot think and should not speak. Right? That's clearly not true in the Bible. If that's true somewhere outside the Bible, that's, right, that, again, we go back to Romans. We said it yesterday. We do not want to conform to this world, but we want to be transformed. The wife certainly can speak. This is written to every Christian. Ephesians 4 15 it says but speak the truth in love to whom to other Christians what is a man and a wife in marriage it should be one Christian married to another Christian you can't ignore the one another's of course she needs to speak and she needs to speak often why because she's part of the body of Christ and without her voice the husband will not grow into Christ the way he's supposed to grow into Christ so if someone says well your place is to be quiet in the church and in the home everywhere that's foolishness. It's folly. Ignore that kind of talk. It's, that is, I don't even like to joke that way. It's not a joke to me at all. I, you say, you get upset. Yes, I do get a, tit, a bit upset about it. That's just absolute foolishness. And I've heard that kind of junk from pastors and from pulpits and from men as if it's funny. It's not funny. We don't say things or do things that minimize the agency or the personhood of the ones that we have the privilege of leading and so we want to be very careful so that's a wrong idea to think that a lady should not speak and shouldn't think again every text here is absolutely true related to that notice the next one then that the wife has no influence i would say it's the exact opposite the wife has or should have incredible influence. Notice how First Peter three says, "Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, obey the word, meaning they're not believers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure, con- see your respectful and pure conduct." So, how is it? That the wife is, how is it, pardon me, that the husband is being won? He's being won by the influence of his wife. Now, we want to be careful because there's a couple of things we want to be aware of as we think about that. Let me mention two. First, manipulation is not acceptable. When Rebecca encourages Jacob to deceive Isaac by impersonating Esau, that is not the kind of influence she's supposed to have, right? That's a sinful influence. Uh, Bill Pyatt, uh, pardon me, not Bill Pyatt, Bill Allen, I'll pick on the other Bill. Bill Allen and I do, (coughs) we counsel together, and one time we had a lady uh, tell us lady tell us well my husband never wanted any more than one baby and they have a number of children and she said oh he never wanted to have one baby and as she described it uh, she used incredible creative manipulation over the years to have many more than one baby and when one day she left I said what an amazing story when she says, yes, he never wanted one, more than one baby, but I got this many out of him. Right? What is she saying? I've manipulated him. Uh, that is not the influence that the Bible accepts because why? You're, you're not functioning in truth. It's not consistent with integrity. So manipulation, that's not the way for a wife. There's a lot of ways a wife can manipulate just like there's a lot of ways a husband can manipulate. But manipulation is not the thing. A godly lifestyle is the greatest influence. And this is, the two examples here aren't in your notes, but well, those are great examples. Hannah, well, she sure was a good example to Elkanah and to Samuel. Remember her story in the first three chapters of Samuel. What a beautiful story. And then what about Eunice and Lois? Paul and Timothy rejoice in their wonderful influence. Right, what a blessing. And I think we could add, those were from the Bible, We, I could add dozens of names of godly ladies where I've watched them influence their children, influence their husband, influence a church. So that the wife has no influence, that's certainly not consistent with submission. So when we think about submission, then the wife is all of those in fear infallible that she can't think or speak she has no influence those are all poor ideas of influence apart poor ideas about submission so what then does the bible talk about well it uses submission as a military term right it, it uses submission as a military term what it means when we talk about Uh, submission is you accept the role that God's called you to. I think the military is one of the best examples of that. So if you, I'm going to use the idea of of an officer that just graduates from officer candidate school, so he now is an officer, or she now is an officer, and that particular person gets ready to go and lead individuals. This happened to some friends of mine where This young guy was in the Vietnam War, just to make it very specific. Uh, He had just graduated as a first lieutenant. He's just barely an officer. But now they're sending him from the states where he's been in training. They're sending him to Hawaii and then on to Vietnam. So he's got a couple days layover in Hawaii. He's going to go to Vietnam, and he's immediately taken over a troop of people, right? a group, whatever the group was called. I don't know that part. He lands in Vietnam where his uncle, who had been a World War II and Korean War vet, he's wrapping up his time in service in, in Hawaii during the Vietnam conflict. And so he said, hey son, again this was his, his uncle, this is a nephew, he said, let me tell you how you'll keep all of your guys alive and you'll come home safely as well. So well, that's... Right at this point, that's good advice. If you're going to Vietnam and you have a man who's been in three wars telling you this is how you stay alive, what should I do? He said, find your sergeant major. Now, who is that? That is an enlisted person. By rank, it's underneath the officer. This officer is just barely getting his feet wet. A sergeant major, he's an E9. He's been in for a long time and he's seen or she... Has seen a lot of experience he said find your E9 and listen to them carefully and do everything they tell you to do and you'll get through this war just fine why because this person has years of experience but they rank underneath the officers here the E9 is here so even though there was experience knowledge wisdom All of those things, this young officer could come in and quasi-pull rank and he's going to get everybody killed. But if he's wise enough to listen to the person who understands it better, who is of a different rank and lower, he's going to be wise. In the home, this just like in the military, the E9 has to do whatever this officer says, but the E9 right because they have more years of experience they have more everything but it's a role they have to submit to just like this young officer has to submit to that role in the home it's the same way God gives Christ has authority the husband has authority under Christ and the wife has authority under the husband that's a role God's given so you accept your role just like in the military that E9 is always an E9. Why? Because that's the role. The officer is an officer because that's the role. They both have to fulfill their functions. So in the home, it's similar, according to the Bible, that we have to accept the role God's called us to. Number two, it's, or letter B, it's a way of life for all believers. Ephesians 5.21 is clear. It says, if you walk in the Spirit, which is in verse 18, then you're going to submit to one another in reverence for Christ. I've heard a lot of people say, well, this is the way you submit. The wife gives 50, the husband gives 50, because you have to submit to each other. Or other people say, oh, in marriage it's different. The wife has to give 100%, the husband has to give 100%, and submit to each other. I don't know what those people are even talking about from the standpoint that in the home, the husband is supposed to give 100% what? To his role. It's what you talked about last night. He should be all in for his role, and a wife should be all in for her role, and the children should be all in for their role. Why? Because they walk in the Spirit. And it's a natural byproduct of walking in the Spirit. You do what God calls you to do. So the wife then, when you, sh- when you submit to each other in the fear of the Lord, everybody's accepting the role that god's called them to and they're all in for their particular role it's not just simply husband wife children parents employee employers in the bible it would also be government and citizens it would be uh the members of a church and uh, ecclesiastical pastoral rule so in all of those ways we submit to the role that god's called us to It's an attitude toward God. Romans 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Of course, that's related to governmental authority, but the emphasis of Romans 13 is God is the one who chooses these roles. So it's an attitude toward God. It's also a proof of the wife's love. John 14, <clears throat> John fourteen fifteen 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John 5, 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So when a wife follows what the Bible teaches on submission, that wife is actually following out of love for Christ and love for her husband. right? So in general, if we were to recap it, the word itself means you accept the role, and this is the thumbnail version I like, although it's not in your notes, but you accept the role God's called you to. That is submission. A husband has to submit, a wife, children, everyone, parents, but you accept the role that God's called you to. So specifically to the wife, what do we know about submission? Let me mention a few things. First, it's a way to be beautiful. Right? In 1 Peter, in First Peter chapter 6, 3, pardon me, 1 through 6, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands as that, Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the binding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear um, anything that is frightening. So what does the text say? It says, by submission, you demonstrate this beauty of the inner heart even when your husband is less than praiseworthy when your husband isn't very easy to follow right it demonstrates you have inner beauty it's a picture of the relationship with christ and the church or the church obeying christ you see that here in two texts in ephesians 5 of course it says wife submit to your own husbands as to the lord Right? So you're submitting to the husband as you are on your way toward the Lord. That's what Sharon was saying earlier, her joke, right? You duck so that the Lord can hit the husband, right? Because you're submitting to the husband, but the reality is he has to follow the Lord. Right? So there is he has an authority. Here's the difficulty. He won't ultimately see his authority until our faith is made sight. So, because of that, husbands can easily uh, ignore the authority of the scriptures. They can do what they're not supposed to do. Uh, they can not carefully respond to the Lord. Why? Because they can't see. Him. But a wife, she's called to be submissive to a man she can see, and to a man who is often very unlike Christ. That makes it a difficult role. Because she's supposed to follow this imperfect example of Jesus as she's seeking to follow Jesus. right? You have to look through your husband to Jesus. Because if you look at your husband, there's going to be too many days of discouragement. So You have to look past your husband, see Christ, follow Christ. And as you do, you're going to be following your husband. Right, so it's the relationship of Christ and the church. I didn't finish the text. It says, for the husband's head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body and itself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. So you get the text in everything. We'll come back to that in just a moment. What about in 1 Peter chapter 2? It says, for this for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself who, to him who judges justly. You say, why is that a good text for submission? Because Jesus accepted the role God called him to. As the son of God who lived on earth among very sinful people. And so when he faced living in and around sinners, what did he do? He entrusted himself to the one who knew it all and who called him to that role and who in eternity will make all things right. right, So husbands do at times make it very difficult. You say well then how is submission limited? It's limited only by biblical mandate, not personal preference. You say how do we know that? Because Ephesians 5 says submit in everything. Right? It says it doesn't say submit in everything except those things you're really passionate about. Right? It says to submit in everything. Now that becomes important to understand which is why the notes have these couple of nuances here for you. Notice the first one. God never gives all of his authority to any human leadership. That's why Peter says we must obey God, not man. Now, what does that mean? When man says don't obey God, then the answer is no, sir. Why? You've stepped outside. I like to think of it as an umbrella of authority. In God's umbrella of authority, as long as the husband stays under that umbrella, then you follow the husband. But when he steps outside of that umbrella and says, I want you to sin, then you don't follow it. And that's not disobeying a husband. Why? Because the husband has no authority to give that command. The husband has no authority to say that. Think about it this way. A wife, somebody calls, right? It's different. Some things are different than used to be, but I remember this hearing this growing up at times, somebody calls, and before the wife picks up the phone, the person says, hey, if that's, let's say, John, tell him I'm not home. Now, should a wife, the husband's sitting right beside her, and she picks up the phone, and it's John. Should she say to John, oh, sorry, he's not home right now? Because he said to her to say, sorry, he's not home right now. No, she should not say that. Why? Because he stepped outside of his authority and he's saying, lie for me. It be the same thing if a husband says, hey, I need you to sign these taxes. And the wife knows that the taxes are inaccurately done or deceitfully done. For her to sign them when the husband's saying sign them, that would be inaccurate. Why? Because he's asking her to sin. That's outside of his authority. You can't ask someone to sin. So the wife should say, oh, sorry, John, my husband's here, but he doesn't want to talk to you. That will correct the husband very quickly, and he'll quit asking her to do that. But that is what the truth is. He can't come to the phone. Would you have him call me back? Yes, I can do that. Right? That's being honest. But a husband can't ask his wife to be dishonest. A husband can't ask his wife to sin or that husband is outside the authority God's given and therefore is asking her to do something that she must say no to. Why? Because she follows Christ. And Christ is the supreme submission. The husband then, his authority only derives from and is under the authority of Christ. So that would, it's limited Number two, you can see it, therefore a husband has no authority to ask his wife to sin. So what's the Bible teach about submission? It's a way to be beautiful. It's a picture of the church obeying Christ, and it's limited only by the biblical mandate and not personal preference. Now, we we nuance that. We talk about that. We answer lots of questions in premarital counseling especially. Just girls trying to say so what does it mean what's it mean about this what's it mean about that this is what i tell men and so guys you need to listen for your own personal life but also for the way that you counsel the authority you have is under right if this is the authority of christ the authority you have is under that as the husband the authority she has is what it's under your authority Now, in your authority, you could ask her, you could demand, you could say, this is the way we're going to live. And you could make that circle that she gets to live in very small. And you can do that by your own personal preference. And she has to follow you. Right? I had a friend of mine that used to say to his wife, when I get home from school, I want the boys to have their toys cleaned up. I want them waiting at the door for me and I want food ready to go on the table. I hear that and I say what a jerk right that you would demand that she should have all of these things done before you get home that's what I think about the man and I challenge him why would you say that why would you do that but what do I have to say to the lady okay under the grace of the Lord Jesus do those things because he's not asking you to sin He's asking you, this is the way we're going to do our home, and so he's giving you directions. so you need to follow that direction. Right, because her responsibility is clear, but as a loving brother this guy, I have to say to him, why are you such a jerk? Why don't you just say to your wife, you know what, when I get home, it'll be a joy to see you, and I'll love hanging out with the kids. And if we eat at some point, that'll be a blessing too. Why do you have to make all these rules for her to jump through? You take the authority and the joy of living she has and you restrict it for no necessary reason. So you what? Go the other direction. You make it as wide as you can. Give her as much as you can because there are going to be times in life where you do have to say no. There are going to be times in life where when you're comparing two things, you're going to have to go with your opinion. And those things are going to happen. Sometimes they happen naturally. Sometimes they happen because of what you believe the Bible's teaching, but the reality is that's gonna happen enough so that in every other possible instance, you go the other way. Right, so we talk about that at length and I end up talking to whom? Not the wife, I end up talking to the husband and trying to help him not be a jerk. Be gracious, be kind, all of those things. So it's important. Here's one thing that's not in your notes, you're welcome to jot it down. And that is letter D, right? A perfect picture of submission is demonstrated by Christ. A perfect picture of submission is democra- demonstrated by Christ, and you see that in Philippians 2, both in the way that Jesus responded to sinners and in the way that he responded to the plan of the Lord. so what must a wife do then as we wrap up the wife has to choose between being like Christ or Satan Christ came to earth and he did everything the father wanted him to do he submitted to God in every way possible he did everything that God requested so either you're going to go that direction or to submission you're going to Respond like Satan. That's a harsh, but really, every person every day has to choose between who their father is. The second one, you have to be either obe- either being obedient, not obedience, or disobedient. Being obedient or disobedient. Right, which choice are you going to make? And the third one is, pardon me, let me go back one. I went back the wrong way. There we go either growing or not growing right it's an opportunity to grow in your trust for the Lord it's an opportunity to grow in your trust of your husband's love you say but my husband it would be very difficult doing any of these things yes and that's why we have the body of Christ to get help from to to walk with to say hey let's think through this uh, just a reminder at the bottom, the Y chart, Brother Pyatt taught it last week, there's only two items on the shelf, either pleasing God or pleasing self, and that's true in regard to submission as well. Okay, what's the second, we spent, you say you spent a lot of time on submission, yes, because that's the one that gets the most, that's the pushback one, right, so we dealt with it, we're good there, let's go to fitting helper. Fitting helper, that's the Genesis text. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the opposite of. This is what a husband is, and I'm going to make a helper the opposite of. If you were to define the term, you would define it this way. It means completing or complementary, corresponding to, fitting perfectly to, are adapted to meet needs those are the various ways this term is nuanced it's used 14 times to describe God as our helper so you say well I don't want to be called a fitting helper okay God's called that to us right so if God who is everything God is can be a fitting helper to us Certainly, it doesn't sound too bad of a deal for a wife to be a fitting helper to a husband. It's, again, it's the term that's used. Therefore this is not a demeaning term, nor is a wife a second-class person. Yes, Adam was created first and with the wife second from Adam, but it certainly means nothing in relationship to personhood or image of or those types of categories. So. It means uh, the opposite of. It's someone that completes. No one can complete and contribute as the wife can. You can do for your husband, wives can do for their husbands, what no other person can do. Let me give you a series of seven ways that that's true. First, in companionship. We talked about that yesterday. A wife and a husband... They get married and it's a companionship, a covenant and a companionship. It's a lifelong journey the same, in the same direction, right? The, it's the husband's best friend. I often say this to single people and to my pre-married couples. The very best thing you can do to prepare for marriage is to marry your best friend, right? Marry somebody that you enjoy certainly you can get married and they're not your best friend but it's going to make life a bit tougher so companionship is something you can provide him better than anybody else here's a second physically no one else can have sex with him without guilt or shame right you are the only individual a wife is that can do everything we discussed last night and do that with your husband in a way that brings him those three benefits we talked about from encouragement to protection to great satisfaction no other way can he feel that way or get those protections outside of you right so you can bring great physical benefit to your husband spiritually Your relationship is to not hinder his spiritual life, but to increase it. And again, that's true. You can do for your husband and help him in ways that he doesn't understand. One is, as we talked about a minute ago, speaking the truth in love. That's a great one. My wife and I, we were at a McDonald's. This was several years ago with my children. They gave us the wrong food. I took it back. We had to wait in line two times. When I handed it back, they were giving us the wrong food again. I could tell in the packages that was coming across, this is not the right food. I pointed that out graciously, kindly, nicely to the girl that was helping us at least I thought I did, and as we were getting ready to drive off and we were distributing the food, my children said, Dad, I think, one of them said, Dad, I think you sinned against that girl. And then all of them said, Yeah, Dad, we think you sinned against that girl. And I looked to my wife for her to say, No, children, your dad (laughs) did not do that. And she said, She asked me, what if that girl had been a V.O.H. girl, which has its own context, but essentially, she said, yes, you sinned against that girl. Well, I need that. I need her truth. I need her to say, I think you've sinned, or you did sin, or have you considered that what you're doing might be sin, or do you think you could be gentle in this way, or have self-control in another way? I need all of those things. Right, a, a husband can be so benefited spiritually. How about parentally? She has great influence on the children. Parents work as a team. Heavens, what my wife does with our children, they would be miserable without her. On lots of levels, not just one level. My, some of my children's best spiritual insights they've gained from their mother Early on through homeschool and then just living life with her when I'm out working. Right, I am so grateful. Parentally, she is the hero of our home in terms of the way that she's helped our children. Uh, she's not parented alone, but she parents alone often. Right, uh, if In the typical home, a lady may work outside the home as well, but a, a husband's not around more than a wife not being around. And so a wife is going to have to take the lead. And you better believe a husband needs that. Domestically. She puts color and depth in the home. No doubt. I mean, that is a, it's incredible how a wife can help a home. There's a friend of mine, it's the opposite. He is a fantastic cook. I ate with him this last Tuesday night. His food is just, it's not to die for, but it's certainly to live for. It is incredible. I mean, this guy can cook better than almost anybody I know. Um, Delicious food. His wife's a horrible cook. She, though, her dad taught her how to do woodworking, and she's incredible. She makes just entire big pieces of furniture. She is very talented. So this guy, they made their agreement. He bought her a wood... Their entire basement is her wood shop. And she does woodworking and makes gifts for people and stuff for their house. And she fixes stuff around the house. And he does all the cooking. And it works great for them. Right? So it's when we say she cooks and cleans or whatever, that's, those aren't biblical injunctions. Every home has to work that out. But there's no question domestically every home is benefited by a wife. Intellectually, a husband is benefited. Intellectually, she is her husband's best source of counsel. And then in ministry, she is a vital part of his life in ministry. One of the best ways to keep a home together is to minister together. We talked about this last night. You say, so how can you summarize those seven things? I jotted three statements here in my notes as a summary. I would say this, it's the coordinated tandem we talked about last night. Right, that's what you see in those seven statements. It's related to friendship. And I would ask this question. This is another thing I wrote. Who wouldn't want this in Christ, in the Spirit? Every woman and every man I would know would love a life that's demonstrated in those seven statements. When they walk in the Spirit and walk with Christ, with a husband. Here's the final one we can't spend very long on this one thankfully there's not many notes for it reverence ephesians 533 the definition of the term let each one love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects that's our word reverence it means respects or regards notices honors prefers venerates esteems praises loves admires exceedingly those are the ways that it's discussed in the bible so what? We're to reverence. What does reverence look like? Well, one way it doesn't is you're not your husband's personalized Holy Spirit. Right? It's that's one way it's not in the Bible. Right? The husband, certainly a husband needs the wife's voice. But you want to be careful. You want to express thankfulness. That's the first Thessalonian text. First, that's 518. You want to express thankfulness. You want to be satisfied despite circumstances. Be joyful in spite of emotions. In fact, remember what Brother Pyatt was talking to you about last month about thinking and doing and feeling. What drives the train? Right? You don't let your emotions lead you. You let them follow biblical thinking and biblical doing right because an emotions are a response so you can choose joy in spite of your emotions why because that's appropriate praise him when he does well you'll be surprised how far that goes and encourage him when he fails Now, look at those six statements. Again, I was looking at these this morning and thinking about it. Really, these are joys. I have three words to summarize this one through six. In my notes, as I was jotting myself some notes today, these are joys and benefits and struggles of being a wife. It's a joy to express thankfulness. It's a joy to be satisfied. It's a joy to praise him it's a joy to encourage him but it's also a struggle because you are struggling some you are encouraging someone who's failed you're being joyful in spite of your emotions you are being satisfied despite your circumstances right so those things are part of the joys and benefits and struggles of your position and if you accept those things and follow the lord and walk with your husband certainly it makes life better for both of you. So here's some important things for a wife to remember. First, God has a plan, and God's plan works. Right? So just follow God's plan as it relates to your husband, as it relates to your life. Love your husband as he is. First John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Notice this statement. To be loved but not known is com- uh, comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Tim Keller wrote that in The Meaning of Marriage. Remember that you chose Him, right? you made a vow. Number four, she should deal with her own log first, right? And that's true. The husband should as well, right? We're talking to ladies here, but the husband needs to as well. She should give God her rights. She should give her rights to God in the Philippians 2 text. Trust him and trust his power. And then here's the final one. She should communicate biblically and in love, which is the Ephesians 4 text. I've got one more statement to make, and we're going to wrap up. Which one do you want? Five or four? She should give her rights to God as number five. Number four, she should deal with her own log first. One last verse just to tell you about briefly, and then, um, yeah, there they all are. To recap. That is, Ephesians five verse thirty three is critical for this whole thing. It says, when you com- put it all together, it says a man should love his wife, and a wife should reverence her husband. That's the critical verse. Why is that critical? Because a wife needs to respect, reverence her husband meaning you reverence his position, you reverence everything associated with the husband, with your role, you submit. What is that text in reference to? It means when you walk in the Spirit, that's when you live in reverence. Now, what does Ephesians, pardon me, what does Genesis 3 teach? The curse of sin is a wife will be against her husband in genesis 3. now let's think about this the curse of sin you're against your husband walking in the spirit ephesians 4 thirty three, you reverence your husband the opposite they're opposites right the struggle of reverence is ultimately an issue of the flesh versus the spirit when you walk in the spirit it gives you the capacity to do what god wants you to do okay lord we pray that you would give us wisdom as we counsel and live these things both as husbands and wives as men and ladies as singles uh, in any way that we function as widows and widowers any way that we function in life would we please be very careful with these things in jesus name